I stared at a positive pregnancy test. And to be honest with you, I was really frustrated in that moment. And I was shamefully overcome with anxiety. And I remember thinking, now? Really, now? Danae had told me that morning that her coffee had tasted bad. And we knew what that meant. My wife really, really, really loves coffee. And there is only one time or certain times in her life when coffee does not taste good to her, and that's when she's pregnant. And sure enough, she was pregnant. And I knew how I was supposed to feel in that moment. I knew the things that were supposed to be going through my mind and heart. I was supposed to be happy. I was supposed to be thankful. But this was our news of this would, would have been like our fourth child in six years. If, if you count when Titus was born to the news of this pregnancy, it was like six years. And at that time, we lived in a really, really, I can't tell you how small the house is that we lived in. I think it was like 1,400 square foot. And we eventually, we had four kids that we just crammed in there. And then we decided to go get two more from Ethiopia and cram in there. And I was overwhelmed with, how are we going to do this? This is too soon. Yes, we wanted more kids, but not right now. And in that moment, I remembered a very close friend of mine whose three-year-old daughter had died a few years earlier. And I had to walk with his family through that and spoke at the funeral. And it was like God just said, no, you're not even going to think that way. You're going to remember what a gift life is. It was a stern rebuke in my soul, in my gut in that moment. And, and I, I said this. I said, her name will be Chorus. Now, there's nothing mystical or magical or supernatural about the fact that I knew we were having a girl. God didn't reveal that to me. I don't know why I thought she was a girl in that moment. I guess it was just the pattern, boy, boy, girl, then we would have another girl. And I said, well, we'll name her Chorus. And I do think Danae said, well, what if it's not a girl? And I said, well, we won't name him Chorus. We will come up with a similar name for him. But Chorus is the, the Greek word for gift or grace. And you can pronounce it Chorus or Charis. Some people say you don't know how to speak Greek. It's actually charis. Well, we say charis because I'm originally from Tennessee, and we think that's the way someone would say her name from Tennessee, charis. <laughs> and it's actually just what, you know, at that time, a Greek name for your child, that's what cool, hip Christians would do. And so it all fit. It was all appropriate. But I, I wanted to remind myself that this child wasn't a burden, that this child was a gift, that this child was grace. Now, she has thoroughly tested that notion, <laughs> and still does, but she is grace. She is God's gift to us, and all life is to be seen as God's gift. And that's a question before us as a church. Will we see all life, even life in the womb, as grace, as a gift? This week, the Supreme Court's opinion 
on the ruling to overturn, possibly overturn Roe versus Wade. Their opinions were leaked, overturning what would be legalized abortion in many ways throughout our country to overturn that, something that's been going on for 50 years, could be overturned and we get excited and we get happy. We should, we should praise God for it. But we should also understand that if this happens as a church, our work is just getting started in a lot of ways. More babies, more children, more babies who will need family, more children who will need homes, more people who will stand up and say, that's chorus, <laughs> that's grace. Those children are a gift. Give them to us. We'll take care of them. I'm so happy to be a pastor of a church where that happens so much. To be honest with you, our commitment to foster care and adoption is one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor because I get calls every week now. Is there someone else in your church who will take these kids? I think it was just this week, a school teacher called me and said, there is a middle school girl who needs a home. Can you find someone in your church who will take them? And it's something I'm called on to do almost weekly now, and it's frustrating because we're running out of home. So some of you need to get to work on getting trained and ready for some kids in your home. And but it is such a testimony of a church that says, gift, grace. Yes, this is from God. This is what God's called us to do. But where do those convictions come from? They've got to be biblical. They've got to be theological. They, they are social and they are political at times, but they're only social and political because first of all, they're biblical and they're theological. And as Christians, we're committed to the gospel. Life is a gospel issue. And so it leaks from our Bibles and our lives and our home to the society and to the culture that we live in. It affects all of our lives. But it starts with the Bible. And there's no other passage of scripture that is more pro-life than Psalm 139. This whole psalm is given over to God's knowledge of us. God's knowledge of us in Psalm 139 is almost suffocating. You can't escape his knowledge of you. You can't escape his presence. You can't escape his protection. You can't escape his love. Psalm 139, David unpacks all of this, but it begins in God's creation of us in verse 13. Notice verse 13. We're going to break these three verses down. Notice David says, for you, you know me, you know me, God, for you formed. The word form can be translated make or create. And while these truths do are true for David, who was God's king, the Holy Spirit here in this psalm gives a detailed description of God's work in the womb. And so we know this is true of every life that begins in the womb. 
Notice he says, for you formed my inward parts. God has formed parts of the human life that no one even sees. And notice here he says, you, my, this is personal. God is personally involved in the creation, in the giving of every human life. And notice he says, you knitted me together. What what goes on in the womb requires intricate skill and design. And God is involved there. And it's displayed in the minute details of the human body. But notice this happens in my mother's womb. This is where God gives, begins life. Life is not initiated on its own. It is a gift from God. There's something beyond the mere biology in every human life. And it is God's design. It is God's gift. In Genesis chapter 1, we we see that Adam and Eve, God created them in his image, male and female. And what does that mean? Well, God rules the world. So then he creates Adam and Eve to be like him, to be in his image, to be his stamp, to be his likeness, to be his reflection in the world by ruling the world. By taking care of the world. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. We are to be like God in the world. That means we're different from everything else that is created. And we are to reflect God's kingdom. And in Jesus, we're to reflect his kingdom as kingdom citizens through the gospel. But initially, we see that there is no such thing as my body, my choice. Every body is God's body. He gave it. He designed it. He brought it into existence. And God, it's God's body because he began life even in the womb. And notice David's response, verse 14, I praise you. The response to life that God has given you life is to praise him, is to worship him. That's why God created you, is that you would turn back to him and say, you're great that you would turn back to him and say, you're the giver of all life. I'm dependent upon you for everything. You have given me life, God. I praise you. First and foremost, that is your responsibility in having life. Notice why. Notice the text. Look at the text. Verse 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This this word fearfully, it means awe-inspiring. Now, God truly is the only one who is awesome. It means to invoke fear. Now, but notice what he says here. I am fearfully made. I am made and I have been created in such a way to invoke awe before God. That means my life and the life, I look around this room, the life in this room is to cause us to stand back and be in awe, tremble in reverence that God would give us life. That we live in a world where we see life. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm made in such a way that causes amazement and wonder. And notice he says, wonderful are your works. This work of bringing life, giving life. It is a wonderful work. It is an awe-inspiring work. It causes wonder. And notice, my soul knows it very well. 
The word know here and throughout this psalm is an experiential knowledge. It's not just to have head knowledge. It is to have an experience. And so because God has created us and we know that, we experience his creation in just our existence. And innate in every human that has life is worship. Now we suppress that. We say that's not true. But the fact that there is a creator and he has created you, there is a responsibility to turn back to him. You know you didn't bring yourself, you, you know you didn't bring yourself into existence. So who did? God. And you're supposed to worship him for that. And he says, my soul knows that. There's an experience in the human soul that longs to turn back and say, yes, there's a creator, there's someone who's given me this life, but because of sin, we, do, we suppress it We push it down, we don't wanna believe it, we wanna think we are king, and we're creator, not God. But here, human life testifies to the greatness of God. This is one of the reasons you should be pro-life, is because human life testifies to the greatness of God. God is given life to testify to his greatness. Look around the world and, and see how amazing human life is. I don't have a lot of time a list, but I was just thinking this morning off the cuff, God made people who can make iPhones. And, and I can open my iPhone, unlock it with my face. Is that not weird to you? The other night I was at a ball game, I had sunglasses on and a hat on. And I reached for my phone, and I pulled it up, and it was like, face ID, whatever it does. I was like, well, surely it won't know whose face this is with sunglasses and a hat on. This is what people do when they try to protect their identification. But my phone knew it was me. How in the world did that happen? Well, God created someone with such intelligence to do that. We, we have people who send rockets to space. We have people who perform surgeries with lasers through our skin without destroying everything in the room. Isn't that amazing? You look around at technology, you should say, yeah, God God created people who can do this, who have such intelligence to do this. You're to praise God for those things. He created the complexity of DNA and genetics and blood and skin cells and immune system and a digestive system, the binding of our muscles and tendons to bones and the fusing of our nervous system that works our cardiovascular system that almost miraculously with every beat of the heart functions. God did that. He designed the smallest organs inside the smallest cells carrying RNA, breaking down protein and polypeptides in your body this very moment. God designed this. Even what you can't see in the human body in this room right now. God brought it into existence and designed it. The chief, cosmic, there's the word, cosmic, engineer of all these things. Isn't it amazing? And we're to turn back and say, wow, this is mind blowing. And it's one of the reasons that the ultrasound machine has been so strategic in the fight against abortion. And it's why we as a church, anytime we can be a part of purchasing one for a pregnancy help center, we should do so. 
Because there's mother after mother who has peered into her womb through one of these machines and has seen not a mass of cells, but a person created in the image of God. And like David here, she has said, my soul knows it full well. And not aborted the baby. Notice verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. My form, maybe skeleton outline, bone structure. People interpret this in different ways. It wasn't hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, the word for woven here is to embroider, to be such detail and precision that is happening even in places that can't be seen as human life is brought into existence in secret, depths of the earth. It just refers to a place you can't see. God's work here is hidden, but he is the one who is doing it. He is the one who is overseeing even what you can't see, what you're not in control of, what you don't even know is happening as life is coming to an existence. Notice verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Before anyone can see it, before it even takes shape, notice in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were None. Before the embryo began to take shape into what we see. God was there working. He was designing. He was involved with detail, skill, and what is going on. But notice, not just in bringing life into existence, but what this life would look like, what this life would be. Notice, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. From the very first moment of existence to the last day, God designed it and God destined it. God oversees it all, all of life, from womb to tomb. Before they even exist, God sovereignly ordained your first day and your last day and every second in between. From the first ultrasound view to the final CT scan, God's already seen it. It's written in his book. From the first squall in the labor delivery room to the flat line of the heart monitor, he knows it. And not just you, zillions and zillions and zillions of humans created in the image of God from the beginning of time to the end. He designed it and destined it for his glory and for his honor. And this is why we as Christians, we're not just pro-birth. We're not just pro-birth. There's a fight to be had there, but we're pro-life. From the womb to the tomb, we are pro-life. Why? Because we believe there is an eternal design and an eternal destiny for every life, including my life, your life, every life, even the most difficult lives. God has initiated and brought them into existence, designed it. It begins and ends with his authority and his rule every day. The child born with Down syndrome to the senior adult dying with dementia. It is God's design. 
He is ordered every day. And we protect that life and we honor that life and we value that life because we believe that God is the giver of life. And this means for you that you have a specific design as well as a destiny known by God right now. You do. You are unique. Look at me, we spent a lot of time talking about your sinful, we're all worms before God. Yeah, we're that, that church that has that kind of theology. That doesn't mean you're not special, and it doesn't mean you're not unique. You're unique and not in the tro- participation trophy way, okay? You're not awarded just for being you. No, you are designed to be you by God himself. Uniquely designed. You are the only you, and you should delight in that, and you should be happy in that, and you should honor God for that. He gave you your gender at conception, personality, bone structure. He placed you in your family with that heritage. He is the one who gave you this life with that background, that home. He's the one that placed you there. And he has given you every day until your last day for his glory. And you have a responsibility to honor him for it. And it is sin not to. It is sin to think that I do not, he doesn't deserve my honor. And it is a sin that we will all pay for if we do not honor him for life. And I want to invite you to start just delighting in life. Just be thankful that you're alive. God gave you this life. So many of us are paralyzed about our past. Maybe it's sin in our past. Maybe it's those things I did or didn't do, and it paralyzes us in the present. And then we get worried about our future. And we worry about when is my last day? We try to protect that. And we're we're freaking out about it constantly. And what God is calling you to do today is to delight in this moment that he has given you right now and honor him. This moment, this second in which I am breathing is a gift from you, God. I honor you for it. I thank you for it. Thank you for the gift of life. And this is why... It is the insanity of sin to separate yourself from the giver of life. It is foolish. It is insane for you who exist to think that there's someone else not responsible and hasn't designed it and to separate yourself from him and to say, no, I'm not a creature. I'm not cre- I-, I haven't been created. I'm king. I'm not going to follow your rules. Who are you, the giver of life, to tell me how to live my life? I will do whatever I want when I want to do it. It's insanity, and it makes no sense. And that is why God will punish it by separating you from his life forever. And you will spend eternity in hell dying, but never dead. Enduring his judgment for rejecting him as the giver of life. But here's some good news. 
God is so committed to the gift of life Despite our sin and despite the curse of sin of death in the world, he has chosen to redeem our life in his son. That the gospel is God's commitment to life. That's why as a church we can't preach a gospel of life and not seek to protect life and to not be pro-life because God is pro-life. So pro-life, he sent his son to die for your sin so that you would have eternal life. That is the gospel of life. That God, God himself would choose to be physically knit and woven together in the womb of a virgin named Mary. If you came in today, you just wanna check us out, you're like, oh, this is one of those churches. They, they believe that stuff. Oh, it's about to get even more weird because we believe in the virgin birth. We do, it's necessary. That God himself would take on flesh and be 100% man and 100% God so that he would be sinless to be able to die for our sin. We believe that. We believe that Jesus' days, every one of them before there were none, were numbered in God's book and the last day included a bloody cross on a hill far, far away. Golgotha. That's what we believe. He died for, and then we believe this crazy thing. He got up three days later and walked out of a first century coffin to give you new life because you and your sin had earned eternal death. That's how God, that's how committed God is to life. And, and so we want to know not just life, so if you're hearing at this point, you've heard generic life, thank God for life. No, your life will be incomplete without eternal life. And this is what Jesus said when he said, I came to give you life, but he didn't stop there. He said life more abundantly. There's more to life than just this life. And there's way more to life than this cursed life that we live cursed by sin and death. He has come to give you mind-blowing, eternal life under the rule and reign of Jesus forever. God has not only designed you for this life, he has designed you for eternal life. And eternal life is more glorious than this life. But you only get it when you believe in Jesus who gave his life for you. One of my favorite verses, it's in an Andrew Peterson song, Don't You Wanna Thank Someone? I actually don't like the rest of the song. So if you listen to it like, oh, Pastor Jeremy's into this kind of music, no. I just like this verse. I do like Andrew Peterson, but he says this, maybe it's a better thing, a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken and then redeemed. The life you know as a Christian is a life in which you know what it's like to have sinned and you know what it's like to live in a world of death. And that's why eternal life is gonna be all the more glorious. Because a zillion years from now, you're gonna look back and say, this life is glorious and I know what it's like to have been a sinner, but I was forgiven of my sin. And I know what it's like to go to funerals and I know what it's like to sit in waiting rooms in the ICU, and I know, but I know what a resurrection is now. 
And that life is eternal life and life abundantly that you will experience forever. He created to give you life. But for those who believe in Jesus today, and I would plead with you to believe in him, trust in him, follow him. There is abundant life for you in this moment, a life where you trust in his cross, his death for your sin and his righteousness. And no matter how bad your sin is, He sees you covered in judgment in the blood of Christ and he delights in you in the same way he delights in the life of his son, Christ. He gives you life to know what forgiveness is today. Life to know what it means that the Father, holy and perfectly and righteous, can look upon you and delight in you in the Son because he sees Jesus. To know a life post-resurrection, free from the curse of death. A life with no shoulder pain or chemotherapy or hospitals or caskets. He's come to give you life if you would believe in him today. Life abundantly. The question for you today is will you look upon his life and death and say, Chorus, grace, gift, We believe in him today.